0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Duset. As we do every week, a brand new guest on the show talking about their life in the world of martial arts. And This week's guest, uh, this gentleman is not only a martial artist, but he's a author and the reason i found him he's actually the president and founder of the martial arts history museum and i'm definitely looking forward to talking about that uh as we get to, through our conversation here but uh let's welcome to the show michael matsuda how are you doing today sir
1: good brian thank you for having me on
0: my pleasure i'm glad you were able to do it i'm glad we made it work out so so before it's an honor, we uh, sir. definitely want to chat about the museum but before we get into that part with all my guests we kind of go back to the beginning i want to know about that the very beginning, what what was that first spark? What was your first experience with martial arts? Uh,
1: 1967. 1967, I was about maybe eight years old. Okay. And I was, uh, my mom would go to her cousin's place. And uh, her cousin uh, sublet uh, all the rooms, there a bunch of rooms there, to, to uh, many individuals, uh, college students and all that. And one of the people uh, named Jose, he was a student of Arc Wong. And uh, while I'd go, my mom would talk with her cousin and I would go see uh, Juan and Juan would be teaching me Kung Fu. So that was my first experience, no official class. hmm in uh, 1967. And then right. I, I, did that for about maybe, uh, I think maybe six months to a year, you know, when we went there, but we went there like two to three times a week. So. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> my mom loved to see her cousin.
0: Okay.
1: Anyway, uh, as she gossiped there with her, I'd, I'd go to Juan's place, knock on his door and he'd show me moves. But anyway, uh, my formal training started in 1968. I was very involved in the Japanese community center in sun Valley, California. And, uh, it was a judo class. That was the only thing they had back then. There was no karate, no Kung Fu, no anything real commercial school Mm -hmm. or anything out there. Uh, but, um, they were teaching Judo at the Japanese Community Center. Now, they normally don't teach kids as, as a rule back then. Yep. Anyone 16 and under, they didn't teach you. That was just how it was. But uh, because I was part of the community center and me and my friend were there, uh, we were the two smallest kids in the group and they accepted us because we were part of the community center. Okay. And so it was the two little us, uh, me and Donna Lisa, were being uh, skinny, scrawny little kids, <laughs> being flipped all over the place. Fun. And, uh, my dad, who had learned judo in 1926 i think 27 okay. from his uh, his um his friend's father uh n- knew the benefits of judo so he made me enroll in the class for one year which i did okay and uh i hated every day of it <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> i stayed we were tortured you know we were so small that they would flip us in the air and before we hit the ground they flip us again and then they just throw us around like rag dolls, you know, we're two little kids in amongst people who are adults, you know, yep. and uh, they really took advantage of us. So it wasn't too fun. I didn't enjoy going it. I hated every moment of it. <laughs> wow. Uh, one year to the day after I finished, I quit and lo and behold, in school, the school bully was jumping on everybody's back for uh-huh. some reason, and he jumped on mine and I flipped him. <laughs>
0: nice. And uh,
1: I said, This works. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I didn't continue in judo, but uh, dummy me, I enrolled in jiu jitsu. Dummy me because I, <laughs> I wanted to get away from judo. Yep. But, you know, of course, going to jiu jitsu is not, <laughs> not getting away from judo,
0: not much better. <laughs>
1: But uh, I did judo, and then some guy came in named Al Dacascas, oh, and nice. he started – Demonstrating in, in the school. You know, he was a friend of the, the instructor and, mm-hmm. and he wore this black outfit and he had these, these uh, you know, circular moves. And I said, that's it. That's it. That's the style I'm going to take. But unfortunately, I couldn't find it. So I enrolled in a karate class. I did that for about a year. Okay. And then my mom found an ad in the Valley Green Sheet. Back then they had a newspaper called the Valley Green Sheet okay. and Daily News. And there was a Kung Fu class being taught at the YMCA. Okay. And that was it. That was early, 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 like 71, 73 or something like that. Okay. Early uh, before the Bruce Lee boom and all that. Right. Uh, I started taking Kung Fu and that was it. Loved it ever since. Uh, It was under Lyle Fujioka, who was under Buxom Kong. So uh, I trained with Lyle Fujioka for three years and then went to the main school and continued my training with Buxom Kong and Vernon Rayetta for about 10 years Uh, in between that time. Uh, a lot of this overlaps, you know, yep. in between that time, one of the guys who came into the school uh, was, uh, he was kind of a wimpy guy. He wasn't very good, but uh, he was a teenager, just like me. He was just a little older and he was learning a, a martial art, uh, you know, a, a in college. And he said, this guy is teaching me some Kung Fu. And I said, great. Okay. the more the merrier. So uh, I said, uh, he's teaching you at college he said yeah he said well why don't you he goes i'll teach you whatever i learned so he was uh, um when i was already in the kung fu school uh this gentleman uh, was a beginner in the kung fu school okay. i was already advanced in the kung fu school so i would teach him the tiger style hungar uh kung fu okay and then he would teach me this new style of kung fu so we were exchanging you know yep. back and forth So little did we know that the art he was studying was called monkey Kung Fu. Okay. So I trained with him uh, together about 35, maybe over 35, close to 40 years. Wow. We became the best of friends. We did monkey Kung Fu together for 40 years. I still continued my Hung Gar Shaolin Kung Fu. Okay. And in the meantime, I took a, about a year of training in um uh, Kune under one of Dan Inosanto's students oh. when I was going to Chinese school to learn Chinese. Okay. And I took a little bit in because it was part of the classes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I trained with Cecil Peoples doing uh, kickboxing uh, back in the early 80s. Nice. I think it was. So that's my whole gambit of of martial (laughs) arts from mainly Kung Fu has been my favorite of all, but uh, I love kickboxing, love kickboxing. I still teach Kung Fu today Mm -hmm. and I'm also doing a little bit of crane Kung Fu as part of our system as well. Okay. So, but, but mainly monkey Kung Fu, Um, uh, COVID, you know, canceled my classes, but now we're being able to restart them. So I'm going to restart teaching monkey Kung Fu in about a month. Okay. And that's it. About fifty-three years total nice. in the martial
0: arts. Let's back up just a little. So, what? You know, obviously, you said you did the judo for a year and you hated it. So, right. what? What made you want to continue with martial arts after after hating it for a year? What? What? What drew you to continue to study and made you want to go and seek out other styles?
1: Uh, flipping the the bully. That, that was, was that it. was it. And okay. <laughs> you know, I'm a skinny, scrawny kid, and I'm a real nice person. I've always been a nice person my entire life, and people tend to take advantage of nice people. Yep. And I, I I'm still a very nice person. And lo and behold, this guy was jumping on everybody and he thought I was easy prey. Like still today, they think I'm easy prey. Mm-hmm. They find out quickly I'm not. But <laughs> but uh, I thought I was easy prey. And then he jumped me in instinct. I flipped him and uh, that was it. That sealed the deal. And I knew I was going to take martial arts for the rest of my life. And uh, I did Just had to find the one that fit me best.
0: Okay, so what made you want to start teaching? You know, you started, you know, trading ideas with friends and working with. What made you? you What drew you to the teaching part of martial arts? Because I know a lot of people don't teach; they just they're students their whole lives. They never teach. Some people. I talked to, you, say that they, they learn better once they started teaching. Just kind of curious how, how you got into teaching and, and what uh, what was it about that that appealed to you?
1: Um, you know, my father has always been uh, a leader. He was the head of the YMCA uh, in our area of our group. He was uh, always uh, somehow taking charge as, as being the person in charge. And so he put those leadership qualities in me, I think, okay. you know, from a young age. And he was always busy scheduling and is making speeches and I learned to make be, I became a public speaker because of it mm-hmm. uh, doing public speaking at eight uh, nine years old I think nice. <laughs> and my father forced me to be a public speaker <laughs> but uh, I think that leadership quality uh, you know uh, transcended to me and then when I started teaching taking Kung Fu uh, doing it three years I started teaching my friend to catch up to me and I really enjoyed it because it helped me become a better student as well as a, you know mm-hmm. teaching somebody else and then uh, in high school I started the Hop Sing Tong Martial Arts Club. And I headed that club of about 50 students there. Wow, cool. And I taught them. I taught 50 students there. Okay. And then uh, when I was a teenager, I had my own school uh, temporarily for mm-hmm. about... Uh, uh, maybe six months or something like that. So, you know, I, I enjoyed teaching, made me a better person. It made me a better martial artist. It improved my skill as a martial artist and it helped improve other people. And I learned from them as well. You know, I am not the best performing looking martial artist, mm-hmm. but I'm very good at execution. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I, I know I can do it very well and I, I do, I do it very well. So I never have to worry about that. But um, like one of my students, he's much better than I am as far as style, as far as movement, as far as everything else. And I'm very, very proud to uh, have him as part of that. You know, it's my extension of me, you know, into him. And and it just makes me um, uh, well, it just makes me proud to see him. uh, I like people to surpass me. I really do. Definitely. That's the key. That's the key because I'm not going to be here forever. And uh, I think it, I enjoy teaching and, and sharing that. And again, it makes me a better martial artist through them.
0: So how do you think your teaching style has changed over the years?
1: It hasn't. It hasn't. Really? <laughs> no, it hasn't. You know, I, I teach a no-nonsense style. Okay. Uh, even though I do traditional Kung Fu uh, and enjoy all the traditional stuff in there, uh, over the years learning from people like Cecil Peoples, uh, I've learned to say, okay. We need to make sure this works and works well, you know, not just works a little bit, works well. So I've always used that style that I learned, not the movements, but the style that I learned in kickboxing into the art I take because the, the art I teach because the art I teach it does have its own kickboxing team. It's a very powerful art people just don't realize it and and we have our own kickboxing team years ago and uh, I, I kind of mirror that of what they are to make sure people learn traditional but they have to learn to really kick someone's butt really well. Nice. <laughs> so so my style my style of teaching has not changed uh, since I started. It's been pretty much the same, and uh, it, it works pretty good. It, I, I can honestly say I'm very proud of my students who have been in a fight and won within one or two moves. That was it. Wow. And uh, I'm, very, I'm very honored that, and that's what I want to see. You win in one or two moves, and uh, and they, they have done that. So I, my style has continued to be the same.
0: Nice. So uh, someone wanted you to explain to them the difference between monkey kung fu and other styles of kung fu. How, how would you kind of describe that?
1: Oh, very simple. <laughs> Monkey Kung Fu is, okay, regular Kung Fu, you're fighting someone hand to hand. Okay, right there. You're in their face. You're kicking their face. You're kicking their body, hitting their body and all that. Monkey Kung Fu's territory is in the ground. Now, think of it this way. A monkey against a tiger. Tiger comes into the village, a little area where the monkeys are. The monkey is not going to beat the tiger, period. It's not going to happen. Their goal is to get rid of the tiger. Get the tiger out of there. So what the monkeys do, they come from different angles and they take a swack at the tiger. They run so fast, they whack the tiger with a stick or with its, uh, you know, their, its arm or whatever from different directions, and they keep doing that as hard as they can. And eventually, the tiger gets so annoyed. You know, the tiger's not going to hurt. So annoyed, the tiger leaves. Okay? okay. For monkey kung fu, your goal is not to beat your opponent because in monkey you're too small you're going to get beaten, period. So you need to find a way to injure that person with one or two blows and get out of there quickly. That is the goal of monkey kung fu. So you train to aim at certain vulnerable parts. You, like Muay Thai, you use your knees, you use your elbows and different parts, and you injure that person in vulnerable areas as hard as you can and get out of there quickly. Okay. And that's what monkey Kung Fu, we're not going to win toe to toe. That's just not going to happen in monkey Kung Fu. So realizing that you need to perfect certain skills to get out of the situation. And that, that is the, the whole thing in monkey Kung Fu. Your specialty is bringing someone to the ground. That's your specialty, bringing them low, bringing them... In an uncomfortable position, uh, moving quickly, grabbing someone's arm. Instead of pulling someone's arm like a block, you know, a normal block, you grab the arm, push it out of the way, or grab it and you pull it to the side. Monkey Kung Fu will block, grab the arm, and push the arm to the ground, including the entire body. As you're coming to the ground, you're so comfortable kicking to the ground, you give a nice kick right to the ribs or an elbow right to the face and then get out of there that quick. So the, the movement is quick, it's sharp. It is extremely powerful. You have to be because a monkey. And then you get out of this situation and you've won the fight because you got out of the, you got out of danger. And that's what monkey Kung Fu is all about in a nutshell
0: nice okay yeah, I, I knew very little yeah, about, I've different. heard of it I knew very little about it though so
1: yeah that's... it's 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 the most unusual style of kung Fu and it's very unorthodox very unpredictable and um, it's it's not for everybody it's not right. for everybody but uh, it's uh, very effective very effective.
0: So does that blend well with other styles? Because I think mean, you've trained in other styles. You trained in other styles of kung fu, and you've trained in other, you know, judo, Jiu-Jitsu and karate. Does that does monkey kung fu blend with those well or not really?
1: Oh yeah, you you know you should be able to do the same front kick from a standing position or for almost at the ground. You know, so in other words, you're perfecting your ground kicks, like your knees very bent and you're kicking, which is very hard to kick from a low position. You're practicing kicking. From a low position so when you're up at a high position which we also practice your kicks are even more powerful because you're starting low it'd be a great art for mixed martial artists i don't know why they haven't tried it but it'd be a fantastic art for those in the ufc or especially fighting on the ground this would be great for them okay <laughs> maybe they'll find out after this broadcast and come over and learn
0: hey hopefully i've had some <laughs> i've had some ufc guys on here so hopefully they'll be listening <laughs> who knows <laughs> So let's talk about, now, I, I mentioned you were an author. You've written a, f- a few books. Talk about some of the books and kind of how those came about.
1: Um, I've always hated writing. <laughs> <laughs> really? Hated writing all my life yeah. until I read Inside Kung Fu. Okay. Black Belt, actually Black Belt Magazine. Uh, when I was in high school, I was, I was already doing Kung Fu. And uh, I actually, I was doing martial arts before that. And then uh, the magazine, Black Belt Magazine it was out there. And I thought this was cool. I get every issue. And Inside Kung Fu came out. Once Inside Kung Fu came out, I said, okay, I want to start doing something with a magazine. And the best way for me to do with a magazine is to write for the magazine. Mm-hmm. So I went back to college. I, well, I was still in college. I was uh, just after high school, and uh, I went and got a journalism degree, and I contacted Insight Kung Fu, and uh, they were already doing articles on uh, my instructor, and uh, I was part of that, and uh, and we were already doing that. So uh, I said I'd like to do some writing for you guys, and they said okay. At that time, they had great editors. (laughs) Right. In the early days, it changed later, but in the early days, they had really great editors, Inside Kung Fu, and they gave me an opportunity to start writing, and that. That was it my first story was a cover story of bruce lee in 1983 with Danny you santo okay. and then later i started writing a bunch of articles on monkey kung fu and uh, many other styles and i did i wrote with black belt and then inside kung fu both of them as a as a contributing editor for about 20 years total okay but in that time period about 1983 Uh, I said, you know, I'm writing for the magazine. I was already writing for the magazine by 1983. And I got my journalism degree and I was working for Valley Star newspaper. And I was doing the production and uh, doing uh, the magazine as well. And I said, you know, I can do my own magazine. I don't need these guys. Mm, And that's what I did. In 1983, I opened my own magazine called Martial Art Magazine. Now, the key to the whole magazine, and I'm hoping I'm not boring you. Oh, no, of course uh, not. <laughs> the key to the whole magazine is I was working there as in the newsroom uh, for Valley Star College. And they had a new equipment that they just brought in back then. It was a, a typesetting machine back then before computers. Okay. And um, they, it was brand new. And none of them knew how to use it. <laughs> Fortunately, I had gone to school at LA Trade Tech for a year and learned that very machine. So I made a deal. I said, I tell you what, I will teach you guys everything about that machine. And you let me use the college to make my magazine, nice. use all the equipment and everything. And it was a deal. And that's where it was. That's how Martial Art Magazine was launched. It, didn't, it cost me just like a $2,000, I think, total to start the whole magazine. I ran it for about four years, never lost a dime on it. And then uh, so that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, unfortunately it wasn't doing what I wanted. I wanted to cover more history, but I kept getting tournament ads. Mm -hmm. So I had to focus on tournaments and then someone made me an offer to buy the magazine because they wanted to do more tournaments. And so I sold it right there in 1988. Uh, but you know, during that time period, uh, I, I started writing books, uh, on my style, monkey Kung Fu. But as I started doing the mag- the museum here, and we'll get into that yep. later, uh, I started writing books for the museum. So I've written about maybe uh, seven books for the museum. And then I've written uh, children's books. And then I started writing books on other people as well. So I think I've done maybe uh, 15 books I've written, uh, all published, uh, some with a publisher, some with self-publishing, some with self-printing. It varies, you know, on all that. But yeah, about 15 books total. I try to do a new book every year. I do my best to do a new book every year. And uh, so I've gotten to the point I actually enjoy it a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, you, you mentioned uh, kids' books, and I was just looking through some of the list here on Amazon and came across this one the Ad- Ad- Adventures of Is It Ichi and His Friends? Just talk a little bit about some of the kids' books and what was the the purpose behind those.
1: Uh, you know, that was actually my favorite book to write. really was. Nice. Uh, years ago, I used to work for Walt Disney Productions as a graphic artist. And I really admired Walt Disney and what he did. This was back in the 70s. And I really admired what he did. And I said, you know, when I had the magazine, I want to, uh, you know, back then there were no computers. Yep. Everything's hand-drawn and everything. So uh, I said, when I did the museum, I said, I need to make characters like Walt Disney characters. So I created these characters called Itchy and Sifu and all them. And uh, I drew the characters and then I sent it to my friend who really groomed it up. And he did a fantastic job of grooming them. But I created all the characters, their names. And I said, you know, I'm going to put these characters as part of the museum, but they need a story. You know, everybody wants to know who they are. So I said, okay, I'm going to make a whole backstory about each of the characters. And that's what I did. I made a book about their entire journey of who they are, where they came from. It's all kids Mm -hmm. and uh, how they made it to Mountain Temple. I designed it as a eventual uh, cartoon series. That's what I designed it as. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to pitch it later as. But uh, it's a book series. It was a lot of fun to write. I really enjoyed it. I created a workbook with it as well. I'm working on the next book, and I'm hoping to have a whole series of books of about Itchy and his friends. They're fun books. They're great to read, and they're all about inspiration, and um, it, they're, they're storybooks. They're not picture books. They're storybooks. Right. So um, everybody, once they read it, they really enjoy it and can relate to a lot of stuff in there. I, I like to put my friends in my books, so I'm always, if you notice in there, if you know me and you know who my friends are, you'll see their, their names here and there.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, I I love the cover of it. The the, the design is just beautiful. So it looks like, I wish my kids were a little younger. (laughs) Probably get them for them, but.
1: (laughs) Well, they're actually pretty good for even an older age. They really are. Okay. People enjoy it, you know. I think I think it was a queen or princess Cynthia that's after Cynthia Rothrock. And a few people are in there. <laughs> nice.
0: That's very cool. <laughs> I,
1: I say, here are you. There's Rumiko, Stephen Hayes' wife is in there. Okay. and other people's names are in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I like to people help out the museum. I like to put their names somewhere. You know what I mean? It's a way of saying thank you.
0: That's really cool. I will definitely put links to that in the show notes so people can check out your books because that uh, looks really cool and, and anything to get kids interested in that kind of stuff is uh, I'm definitely for. So. so
1: yeah, it'll get kids really interested in the martial arts. It really will. Perfect,
0: perfect. So let's kind of shift to the museum a little bit. To talk about first of all where the idea came from, and then you know the kind of the steps you took to, to get it off the ground.
1: Oh, it's it's a crazy idea.
0: (laughs) That's good. The good ones usually are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Something I say to everybody, don't ever do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the martial arts um, growing up in uh, the 60s, you know, was a great time for martial arts. I was still a young kid then, you know, eight or nine years old. But, you know, back then I, I got to read about or see them. You know, uh, never really meeting them, but see them people like Chuck Norris and Joe Lewis and those guys in the early, early days. And, and to be there in different ways, either to be at a tournament and watch them or see them in the magazine or whatever way it was. And most of the 99% of the people I met, so which is nice. And over the years to see them grow in the martial arts, you know, to see Al Dacascas meeting him, you know, as I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and Eric Lee and all these guys at the prime of their life, you know, going on the tournament floor. And uh, to see, uh, especially, you know, Gene LaBelle was one of my earliest guys I I met. He was doing wrestling at the Valley Garden right over here down the street in uh, Sun Valley. And my dad used to take us because he was a big wrestling fan. And it would be Rocky Johnson, the Rock's father, Freddie Blassie, uh, Gene LaBelle. All those guys would be wrestling. So we go to the wrestling ring, right, right. Not again, not far from here at all, all the time. So I got to see Gene LaBelle out there wrestling, you know, and that was really fun to see all those guys so growing up uh you know in that time period i, I met fumio dimura when he first came here to america yes. and takabota and all these guys you know to 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 know them firsthand personally uh was a great experience you know really was mm-hmm. and to to be a part of all that fun stuff and and you know meanwhile i knew who bruce lee was he was alive back then i knew who he was yep. you know we all knew who he was back then and you know, Bong Su Han and, you know, uh, you know uh, all these guys from, from the early days, Heel Cho and Jun Ri and, and, you know, getting to watch them over the years and develop into, uh, you know, well-known people in the magazines and industry was a fantastic time in history. And I'm so thrilled to have been part of it. And through the years, you know, doing the magazine, I get to write about some of these people and meet more of them as the writer. You know, they they treat you a little bit better as a writer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But they take you out to dinner, which is cool. But, uh, you know, you get to know them over the years. And I thought that was really fun. I really enjoyed that time period. It's like uh, being there when the Model T was made. How cool was that, you know, to be part of that history? To me being there, part of the martial arts icons who were nobody, you know, when they first came here but slowly developed into icons and parts of history. And to grow up with that was a great period of time. And then, so when I started writing, I I, I took that to heart. And I really wanted to do things, you know, traditional on history and all that. But uh, again, it wasn't doing what I wanted, the magazine. And I really wanted to focus on history. So in 1988, when I sold the magazine, I said, okay, I want to do a museum. I think a museum would be a fantastic. Way to keep our history alive because nobody's doing it. oh Someone had tried a Bruce Lee museum. It was just a storefront, you know, in front right. of somebody's store. It only lasted about a year. But uh, I said I-, I can't go down that road. You know, I can't do that. So I need, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it right. So I talked with a few people, Doug Wong and a few others, about the idea. They thought it was a great idea, and I said, okay, uh, I know nothing about doing a museum, and it would be foolish of me. To open a place and start putting stuff on the wall that I knew nothing about. You know what I mean. So I had to make sure it was done right. It was done professionally. I didn't need it to fail. I needed to make sure it was going to continue. So I went back to college for another eight to nine years. I went, I took classes on uh, public relations on marketing. I got a degree in business. Uh, I went to the American Film Institute for three years. I learned how to be a producer and editor, how to edit uh, videos. I learned how to do museum design, museum decoration, museum restoration. I had to learn bookkeeping. I had to learn everything possible you can think of from programming to, uh, you know, from artwork to everything you can think of in starting a museum. I did not want to be someone, again, someone just put something on the wall. You know, Mm -hmm. I need to make sure this was gonna work and done professionally. You know, martial arts is wonderful, but so many areas are not professional at all, you know, which is sad to see. And I think we need that professionalism because people don't take us, you know, as martial artists, as professionals, we need to show them we are, you know? So I thought uh, by learning everything possible on how to do museum, I had to do first. And that's what I did. I worked as a producer, I produced commercials, And all that as a livelihood. And then uh, about 2003, no, yeah, 1999, I said, okay, I know enough. I feel I know enough uh, that to go forward with a museum. I had it registered as a nonprofit, 501c3. And my friend Firebores Ajak helped me put it on the internet because back in 99, 1999, the internet was still really new. Yep. And uh, we got it on the internet and officially launched the museum on September 15th. And there it was on the Inert Martial Arts History Museum. And we were, uh, from that point on, a few years later, we were a traveling exhibit, and we traveled all over the country to get people interested in the museum. And then in 2006, we opened in the city of Santa Clarita. And in 2010, we relocated to the city in Burbank, where we are today. So the museum is now 21 years old. Wow.
0: Congratulations.
1: uh, (laughs) You know, as June Rhee uh, told me when I, you know, I talked to everybody over the years, getting to know them personally. Uh, I talked to June Rhee before he passed away, a few years before, and he said, uh, which I'm very proud of what he said. He said, Michael, you did the museum right. That's the right way to do it. Nice. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I feel that as well. You know, I, I put through the blood, sweat and tears of learning this. I took this all over the road you know, to see what people like, what they didn't like, what the museum was going to be. Is it going to be a who's who? Is it going to be a cultural? Is it going to be, you know, I had to weigh all that through our exhibits and, and Mm -hmm. show people, okay, do you like this? Do you like that? Do surveys, do all that stuff. And I did everything. And and once I got my business degree and everything else, I I went forward with the museum and um, here we are today. (laughs)
0: Wow. So just talk a little, like if someone decides to come visit the museum, what are, what are they going to experience when they're there? What, what can they look forward to seeing?
1: Well, you know, my, my overall goal, my overall goal of the museum, and, I, you know, you got to have goals. you got to have goals. Mm-hmm. And Walt Disney has been my uh, the guy I've always looked up to. John Corcoran is my mentor for writing, and Walt Disney is my mentor for business. And I, I, my goal has always been to be, uh, like a village with a museum. The museum to be a, a place like City Walk or something like that, or Disney, downtown Disney. It would be a place that you'd have the museum as this main focal point. You'd have a theater for entertainment and shows and movies. And then you'd have a village area where you'd have uh, places to eat. And uh, different shops and stores, and that way you can have uh, celebrations and uh, New Year's or Chinese New Year's, and have parades and demonstrations and all that. That has been my ultimate goal for the museum. We're not there yet, but okay. we will eventually get there. You know, a home for the martial arts worldwide. Hey, how cool it would be to go into the restaurant to get a. Chuck Norris burger or, or Jackie Chan pastrami or something. That
0: would actually be, <laughs> yeah. real, that'd be really cool. I like it's going
1: to happen. It's going to happen. You know, I'm positive without a doubt it's going to happen. But for now, for now, uh, with the help of so many individuals, and these are all little guys, all of us, I call mm-hmm. us the little guys, and uh, all of us giving their money and helping out, uh, we established a museum. We finally the world's first and only martial arts history museum. Very professional. Everything in here is professional right to the T. Uh, We do our best. I learned museum design. I went to every museum you can (laughs) think of. I want to say thank you to the Natural History Museum, the Japanese American Museum. Uh, Many museums have met with me personally, taking me out to lunch, taking me all over their place, showing me how they did it. And I'm so grateful that other museums just helped me out, you know, They didn't feel me as competition. They wanted to help me out, which they've done. That's great. So I'm very grateful for that. And so when people come to the museum, um, they get to enjoy a nice look at martial arts history, but also a history of of each of the countries. And I wanted to focus on culture as as our main thing. But uh, culture is tradition, martial arts and music, martial arts and art martial arts and dance and all that and and where the arts came from so you're looking at china you're looking at the Boxer rebellion you're looking at you know the the uh you know chinese lion dancing what role does that play in chinese kung fu you know how the gold rush was part of it and all that history you know of where it came from and then how it came to america and how it influenced our movies our film our animation and more so I look at each of the specifically Asian countries. And again, we're focused on Asian arts, but we're not limited to. Right. Uh, we're limited on space. <laughs> <laughs> uh. We had a bigger space, we could go more. But, but for right now, uh, you look at the country of Japan, where the samurai, the role they played, the artistry of the samurai sword, uh, what it meant, uh, the kabuki theater. And how they had samurai plays and different things like that. You look at uh, Muay Thai, you look at the Filipino dancing, you look at the Chinese, uh, Ilua, I mean, uh, Hawaiian Lua, you look at all of that stuff. You look at anime, we have a section on anime, the history of anime, and the influence ahead of in martial arts. And then we have a section on uh, movies, movies, and magazines. Nice. So the TV and the timeline, a whole timeline of where martial arts began and the films and TV and all the way to current day. So it's a nice lesson in history. you know it's just like you're going to the Natural History Museum or somewhere learning about the history of a country and, and all that. we do that here. This way people who, who never know anything about martial arts, which the majority of the people that do come are, uh, they get to learn everything you know unique about the martial arts, how it came from, how you know King Kamehameha did this and how this means, and what that means. and they, they leave here with a with a new sense of history and a more appreciation for, for the martial arts.
0: I love it. I love, I love that you're doing this. And I, hopefully I'll get to visit it someday soon. So, <laughs> so talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. Uh, I was kind of reading through the website and seeing that. It looks like that's been going since about 99. So a little bit about like how, how the people are picked for that and how that goes.
1: Well, uh, before I get into that, okay. um, you know, one of the things about the museum is um, I didn't want it to be uh, just a museum. We needed to do more. And I think we have events that we do that we bring in a lot of people. And that's really the lifeblood of the museum, keeping it going. Uh, We do days that we honor people in our back area. We have like a theater there and we're able to honor people, uh, you know, talk about their life before they pass away. And uh, it's a great time we have. We do that about once or twice a month. Uh, We show movie screenings. We have uh, fairs. We have craft fairs. And then we have uh, book signings. And then we also do a lot of humanitarian work. We do a lot of classes for those who don't know how to do stuff for work for on the Internet or how to do your YouTube or how to write a book or how to do different things, get into acting or, you know, different things to to help in humanitarian wise. We we do blood drives. We collect uh, old uniforms that people don't want to use. And we work with other schools to distribute them for kids who cannot afford uh, uniforms and we work with Make-A-Wish Foundation, and uh, a lot of things that we do that humanitarian-wise that I think it's important for the museum. Uh, It's great to have a museum, but we need to be part of the community, not only this community, but the world community, and by doing special drives and funds and different things like that, I think that's very important for the museum to do. You know, there are a lot of great Martial arts supply companies, and they do wonderful things, and they make a lot of money, which we are so happy they do. Mm -hmm. But it's important to give back in different ways. You know, that's what we're going to be remembered for in the end, you know, giving back. And by helping the museum and helping us do humanitarian efforts, I think that's a big thing, real big thing. Nice. But that's what I want to put in first oh, before the sure, Hall of Fame. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about the Hall of Fame. But anyway, the museum's a fun place to visit. Really? Oh, yeah. People really enjoy it. You know, uh, it, uh, our goal is to, to get to a bigger place. And 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 we will. We will. It's gonna happen. One way or another, it's gonna happen. You know, you just gotta keep pushing forward. But anyway, the hall of fame, being in the martial arts for 53 years, <laughs> I've seen every hall of fame come and every hall of fame go there, you know, there are so many halls of fames. They're just all over the place. Most of them, 99% are money-making, you know, things to get people in. But, you know, uh, I am, I I will never see any, say anything besides that, you know, bad about anybody's hall of fame. I think people should receive recognition and I'm very happy people are receiving that. People have done, a lot for the martial arts they have sacrificed so much they may not have done it in a historic uh you know something historic but they have done great things many people have done great things and you know given confidence to kids and helped you know in different areas they have helped the community and i'm very proud when people get recognized you know i really am proud of that i wish they wouldn't call it the hall of fame but that's okay there's nothing <laughs> i can do about it but i'm very glad people are getting recognition i really am and 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 again, I would never say anything bad about any individual Hall of Fame. I, I, would, I, I don't, you know, it's not worth saying anything bad about anybody. So I don't do it. That's right. one of my policies. I just don't do it. I don't need to hear it, period. You know, I don't need to, you know, let's just move forward and, and do what we can to help the museum. That's just what it's about. Because when we're gone, it's going to be the museum only left. You yep. know what I mean? Exactly. So anyway, uh, what I did is I said, okay, there are so many Hall of Fames, how can we make this different? And I said, well, okay, let's make it on historic. You know, Babe Ruth is in the Hall of Fame for what he did in baseball, the home runs, uh, the pitching, uh, the, the many contributions Babe Ruth did for baseball. And I said, that has to be with the museum. We need to look at people who've made an historic impact and changed either America or change the world, either one, but something that changed history. That's what it needs to be about. There are many fantastic people in the martial arts that do, again, they're just uh, skill is unsurpassed on many of them. Many of them make me look like I'm walking, you know, (laughs) they're so good. But, you know, we need something to give full recognition where people can look up to without a single question of why that individual is in there. So that's why we created the Hall of Fame books as well. It, sh- it is not their biography, but it is a look at what they did to change history. Okay. And I think that's what brings value to the Hall of Fame on, on what they did. It's not of the year events. It's over you know, a significant part of history, you know, a significant part of history. Uh, Jackie Chan was one of the early ones to introduce comedy into the martial arts. Arkwai Wong Wang was the guy, the first one to open a commercial school to teach non-Chinese. You know, people who have done historic making things that change the direction of the martial arts, those are the ones that, that should be recognized and, and, and kept as part of history. Part of history. Yes. And that's why I'm very proud of the Martial Arts History Museum's Hall of Fame. It looks at historical achievements. So when you look at it, there's no question why that person is in there. Period. There's no question. You can see what they did. And to make it fair, it is the previous Hall of Famers that make the vote. They're the ones that nominate the individual. It's up to the museum. We don't nominate anybody at the museum. That way they can't yell at us. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It is up to them. And, And it's up to them. And they provide us with a letter saying what that person did to change history, okay? And then then we just verify the information. That's what we do at the museum, make sure it's correct. But it is up to the previous Hall of Famers, and I am so thrilled that they are so picky. You know, I really am. You know, in the beginning, a few of them says, oh, I'd like to nominate this person and this person. I said, okay, that's fine. You can nominate whoever you want. It's up to you. But keep this in mind. You are putting them at an historic level just like you. It's up to you. Do you feel they have done a historic achievement in history and they would be equal to your level? They go, oh, I understand. OK, that's what it's about. You know, that's what it's about. We we need to have some place that uh, that someone can say, OK, there's the Hall of Fame. We, we need to have that. We need to have that. And I'm very thankful that the newspapers and everybody calls us every time someone passes away because they know we have the information. And we have a database of about 100, maybe 250,000 pictures of every martial artist you can think of and stories for each martial artist. And we provide them with all that with no charge or anything. So that way they can have an accurate information about that individual. And they ask us, is it there in the Hall of Fame? And they they look at us, you know, if they're in a Hall of Fame, we tell them, yes, they're in the Museum's Hall of Fame or not. We do not. We do not advertise anybody else's. This is the only one we recognize because right. you know, writing for the magazines and all that, I won't say anything about it, but we need something that people can really, you know, look up to and say, this is, this, this is why they're in there. This is why they're in there. They made history and they changed history. That's great.
0: And one other thing I wanted you to talk about is Dragon Fest. Uh-huh. Let's talk a little bit about how that, how that started and, and what that, what, uh, what's involved in that.
1: Uh, Dragon Fest, you know, we got so many great things at the museum that we've been doing as, as, you know, as a promoter, you know, I used to promote uh, before this, I used to promote the San Fernando Valley Health Fair. I promoted a convention for uh, Las Vegas and I promoted a few other conventions. So uh, being a director and coordinator of other conventions, it was a lot of fun. It really was. So uh, years ago, I don't remember the exact date, Jero Kimura, he was a um, martial arts uh, kung fu icon in the early days, man of many weapons. He was in uh, Big Trouble in Little China, a bunch of movies he was in. And he started a convention called Dragon Fest. And it was a small little room, <laughs> maybe about five or six tables. And that was it. And then over the years, it slowly got bigger and bigger and more people were having a table there, mostly, you know, celebrities and, uh, you know, independent celebrities and martial artists would come and, you know, icons of the martial arts. And then it started growing, getting bigger and bigger. And then uh, finally, around its ninth year, it started to uh, hit its peak, I think. Uh, eighth year. Actually, the eighth year kind of hit its peak. And the ninth year, it, got, it wasn't as good as the eighth year. Yep. You know, it kind of hit its peak at that point. I think he was tired of doing it. I don't know. I was part of it. I would do their website. I'd have a booth there. I had a lot of fun. You know, I didn't run it, but I just had a lot of fun being there. I was there for about four or five years before it closed. So it closed about 10 years. It ran for nine years, and then it closed about 10 years. There was a 10-year gap. There was no convention at all. And then everybody kept bugging me. He said, "Look, you have the museum. What better person to put the Dragon Fest back on than the museum?" (laughs) And for years they kept bugging me. And I said, "Okay, okay." I gave in. I said, "Okay, I know how to do a convention. I've done it before." So I did. I I arranged a place. I got a hold of everybody who used to be at the other place at the old Dragon Fest. And I said, "Look, with your blessing, Gerald, is that okay?" And he says, "You have my blessing. Go for it." And I said, great. OK, so we started the museum. The museum restarted Dragon Fest and everybody came back. Everybody said, we're back. Dragon Fest is back. And the old flavor of the Dragon Fest was there again. And uh, everybody came back. And it's been, you know, growing bigger and bigger and bigger ever since. And now we do classes on uh, school management and working out and techniques and, uh, you know, a bunch of different things that we do as part of the convention. So it's a lot of fun. It is a huge reunion of martial arts icons. People who haven't seen each other in 20, 30 years, there they are, you know. So it's really fun. Uh, I have a blast. I really do have a blast, even though I run it. I have a blast doing it. It's just I hate for it to end. You know, <laughs> it's that fun to do. And everybody comes by and most people, 99% are very gracious. We have a few, you know, that uh, always want to get in for free. You know how that is. But uh, anyway, we try to ignore them. But uh, everybody pretty much has a fun time. You know, they come in at... 10 or 11 and they don't leave they stay till we end we have to shoosh them out the door (laughs) because they're having so much fun you know you know people have oh i haven't seen my instructor in 40 years or whatever there they are and people say i wanted to come here just to say hello to you and i say oh hello how are you and meet you we have performances we have music we have dancing we have demonstrations you name it it's a it's a great event it's a two-day event and uh, it's just a blast. It really is a blast. And uh, it's it's more about, um, of a. I think of it as a big reunion for a lot of people who haven't seen each other, but it's a great way to push your stuff and get it out there, you know, especially now, you know, push your wares and different things out there. Uh, we have a great time. We've hit about our... So far, about 3,000, close to 3,000 people in wow. our last one. And then, of course, COVID hit, yep. and we'll see what happens at the next one. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be next year, so we'll see what happens. But uh, Dragon Fest is a great time. Cool. It's a great convention. I have a lot of fun. And um, that's it. Dragon Fest is just great.
0: Hey, I'm hoping to make that, too. I I, I need to, I actually need to get back out to California for a visit, so maybe I'll plan it around those dates just to, so I can sneak up and go to it. To be kind of fun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is a great time. It really is. You're you're like a kid in a candy store, you know. Everybody's there, you know, from the Karate Kid people to different movie stars and different icons of the martial arts to MMA guys and, you know, these bare-knuckle guys and all this stuff. It's pretty fun.
0: It'll be fun. Maybe maybe if I can get to the point and get there, it would be fun to actually do the podcast live from Dragon Fest maybe. Oh, yeah. We do a
1: lot of broadcast live there. That
0: we do, we do, yeah. Cool. So we got a, f- a few questions to kind of fun ones to wrap it up and, and everything. So I'm just kind of curious, what are your, I know we talked a little bit about, you mentioned a little bit about like MMA and monkey kung fu. I'm just curious, what are your overall thoughts on on MMA coming from a more traditional martial arts background? What are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC?
1: You know, I appreciate anything that will promote the martial arts, you know, that will promote the, the arts to everybody. Um, doing martial arts, I think everybody should do. Everybody should do martial arts. Agreed. You know, Gives you confidence, you know. Gave me confidence, you know. It helps you defend yourself. Uh, it makes you a more balanced person. As Arnold Yukita said, uh, "Martial arts uh, made me a better man." Uh, martial arts. Um, if if you're going, especially if you got to go to a good school first of all, anyway. Mm-hmm. But you know, a martial artists can. You know, uh, we can combat so much if we all do martial arts. It helps us create goal setting opportunities to reach another goal, to reach another belt. It helps us be, become a better public speaker and get more confidence. It helps bring people out of their shell. You know, people have uh, different uh, challenges, life challenges, and it helps them overcome their challenges. I know my friend, uh, instructor, uh, teaches some uh, kids who could barely talk and barely walk. And in, in a few months, there they are doing, you know, a few moves and actually talking back and forth because nice. the confidence martial arts brings. So. I I am just the biggest advocate for the benefits of the martial arts. Uh, We can solve so much if we all did martial arts working together, you know, we can solve so much. And uh, the things, the the inspiration it puts in us, you know, I cannot say enough of the great things that martial arts does. So anything that will promote it from MMA to movies to Batman <laughs> to anything to promote the martial arts, I'm always in favor of. You know, I may not agree with all the 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 you know the you know the the fighting on the ground yep. and all the different rules and all over the place in, in the MMA and all that. But, that, you know, it's another, just another evolution in martial arts. You know, we went from judo to karate to uh, kickboxing to tournaments and all that stuff. You know, we go through evolutions in martial arts. And I think anything that, that again, can promote the arts, um, you know, I think is a good thing. I really do. I know people say this art doesn't work and that doesn't work and that's making us look bad and all that. And I understand, I completely understand that. And I understand their point of view and that's their point of view and that's great. But I think anything that we can do to inspire people to learn martial arts, I think that's a benefit for all of us.
0: Great. I love that answer. Very good. So if you had to pick just one martial artist that you admire, who would be at the top of your list?
1: alexander fusheng you see i i said that without even a a hesitation That's right without even a hesitation (laughs)
0: most people got to think at least a little bit about it oh no
1: (laughs) alexander fusheng most people don't know who he is okay alexander fusheng back when i was doing kung fu in the early days this was uh before uh, around again a lot of this stuff overlaps Mm -hmm. around the 70s uh uh, Bruce Lee was out there, but I didn't know who he was. I, I heard of Bruce Lee. I heard of this guy fighting really fast. That he was a he was a fast martial artist, very talented. I would hear that from people, Wally Jay and other people. I'd hear that that he was amazing guy. But but before I heard, even heard about him, uh, I the the kung fu movie boom started. You know, uh, with the five, five Fingers of Death and all that stuff. And and I was going to the the theater in Chinatown, and and uh, sixty nine seventy something like that, and. Um, there were the Shaw Brothers movies. And I was doing a style called uh, Hungar Silum, many names. It's Shaolin style, that's mm-hmm. what basically it is, a Southern style of Shaolin. And, and I was doing this style, and on the Shaw Brothers, I saw the movies, the Shaw Brothers movies, and there was their team of good guys, you know, uh, 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 Chen Kuan Tai, Ti Lung, David Carradine, you know, all these guys, and then Alexander Fushang. Uh, Alexander Fusheng looked a little, I looked a little bit like him, just a snidge, Maybe 1 16th of myself looked like him because he, he looked, you know, uh, different. He looked a little different. And, and he was doing the same style I was. So he was doing Kung Fu on the screen, uh, Shaolin Kung Fu. And he was always laughing. He was like a comedian. He was before Jackie Chan. He had died later in a car crash. But had he lived, there would have been no such thing as Jackie Chan. It would have been Fu Shang, who had been the comedian guy, because he was that funny. But but he was so talented. And I love the Shaw Brothers movies. And then when he do his forms and stuff on there, they're the same forms I did. You know, they were exactly the same. So I grew up to admire Alexander Fusheng and I mimic everything about him because he was doing my style. So I, I you know, I wore his outfit sometimes and I carry his pants sometimes, you know, I was in the movie mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed. I was there at the Shaw Brothers and I was there at the theaters in Chinatown. Doug Wong was there, James Liu was there. Everybody was there. We were all there crowded into the theaters in Chinatown. And I really admired Fu Sheng, and, and he became my mentor, shall we say, the guy I looked up to most in the martial arts. He, he did martial arts. He wasn't you know an expert in martial arts, but he was an actor of course, but he did his martial arts very well. And uh, him, I think of all people I really admired and, and look up to, and I, I still look up to him today. Great. So I'm glad to have a, uh, someone made a, some, someone else made a statue of his a bust of his head and donated it to us. And I said, how did you know? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but anyway, we have it here at the museum. But uh, yeah, I, my, the guy I look up to above all is Alexander Fushang. He is, he is my guy. And my favorite movie of all time are the Shaolin Martial Arts, the Shaw Brothers movies, uh, the ones with Alexander Fushang and the whole group uh, in those movies back then.
0: Okay, perfect. So now over 50 years in martial arts, do you have one philosophy you've learned that kind of stands out for you?
1: I would say always be prepared. That's my philosophy. Always be prepared. Always be armed in one way or another, you know, whether you're fist or, or, uh, you know, I'm a believer in blades, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I think you should always be armed in one way or another, you know, really do. You, You need to protect yourself in some way, learn your martial arts skill well enough, you know, um, people can learn a lot of great kicks and that's fantastic but, you know, I rely on three movements, that's it three movements with my knees and elbows and see, I'm giving away my secret here (laughs) my knees and elbows, uh, special movements that I love, that I do very well, you know, I say look, you you can probably beat me but I'm going to hurt you real bad (laughs) (laughs) there you go so you know, but thankfully, I never had to really use it. I only used it twice in my life. But I think people should, should know, uh, especially a couple great moves, be armed with those moves, and that way they can get out of, of different situations. You know, you got to be able to protect yourself. And I think being armed and either learning martial arts and be armed with your hands and feet or whatever techniques or, or whatever else you need to do, to protect yourself. I think that's important, especially today. Today, it's, it's horrible out there. And I yeah. think more than, uh, you know, I just, someone almost tried to carjack me the other day. Wow. And uh, thank God I'm armed. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it ended quickly. <laughs> that's good. Always but, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you do. You always uh, you always have to be prepared, but you always need to be in armed in some way. And, and especially protect you and your family. You really do. And I think uh, above all, even though learning martial arts is wonderful and everything else it brings, but keep in mind the goal of martial arts is to defend yourself, you know what I mean? And that's the ultimate goal. And I think that's important that we all be able to, you know, find those techniques, find those movements, whatever you need to be able to defend yourself, uh, you know, appropriately.
0: Perfect. So now you, you, you (laughs) you can't pick one of your own. What's your favorite martial arts book?
1: book oh my god you know i read this great book with Jean labelle that was really fun uh, a while back i just finished steve sexton's book oh. about um uh doing a, a roadhouse fighting that was pretty pretty fun nice. i try to read a book every year i do my best you know every couple of years because i'm mm-hmm. writing usually the book yeah. itself i was reading this one uh, it's called oh where is it's right there on my desk let me see if i can see it it's Bruce Lee's. Uh, it's got a red cover. It's with. Uh, it's a story of the early days. Gosh, sorry, I can't remember it, the name of it. But it's about the early days of Wally Jay oh, and yeah. uh, the uh, Bruce Lee when they first met Bruce Lee and Leo Fong and all those guys. Ah, I forget. And then I'm also reading uh, Darlene Parker sent me a book uh, from Elvis and, uh, and Ed Parker. So I'm reading that one as well. So I'm reading two books at the same time and uh, getting through those. So those are pretty good. I'm enjoying the Ed Parker one. That's pretty fun. I really enjoyed that, but I'm really enjoying the other one. I wish I could remember the name. Oh, it's got a different name. It's got a red cover and uh, I've I've really gotten into it, but it talks about the early days. You know, it's kind of cool. They talk about the early days, talking about Leo Fong, which I know Leo Fong very well. Good friend of mine. And all these guys, you know, Wally Jay and and, uh, you know, uh, all, in you Tino know, Tia Losega and those guys are in the book. And I said, hey, I remember that. You know, I remember they were doing those parties or this event or that Lua or that. And here it is in the book, which is kind of cool to see. So okay. I, I do my best to 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 read a couple books a year. I, I'm trying to write a book every year. I've been really bad this year. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's important we do reading and, uh, and, and reading a few books. I love the Star Wars books. I read some nice. Star Wars books. They're a lot of fun to read that. And I like to read kids' books. Uh, because I'm writing kids' stories, I just read some Goosebumps one and those are pretty fun makes sense. you know great writers oh my god they're so good and i use some of that style into my books i say oh yeah i thought of that or that's pretty good the way they approached it you know this way i'm going to do my book sort of that that approach to that movement you know that that little part or something like that so children's books i i really enjoy reading they only take me a few days to read yeah but th- those are pretty fun the goosebumps books. They're, they're pretty fun to read.
0: Yeah. I used to read a book a week and I'd love to get back to that. I, you know, I, for, I know. for about six years now, I read a book a week and I, and I, well, two years ago, I just I slowed down and I, maybe I'll do I'll still do 10 or 20 a year, but I need to get back to doing a book a week.
1: <laughs> I know, you know, trying to write this. I'm trying to write the, the next volume of the Hall of Fame. At the same time, I'm writing press releases for the museum, you know, every couple of days and then trying to do all the rest of it doesn't give me too much time. But I try to squeeze in a few pages a day. I, I really yeah. try. And I think it's important we, we read, you know, because it helps our grammar, helps everything else and helps us in school and all that. I wish I'd encourage more martial arts, martial arts to do that.
0: Definitely.
1: Uh, I think that really help us a lot, help us in school and the kids and all that. That's why I think the book, Itchy book is fun for, for the kids. You know, I designed it as a book report so you can write book reports, okay. because, you know, as, so you can give it to a class and they can write, OK, what did he mean by this? Or why was Itchy learning that? Or what did he, when he used the samurai sword? why did he cut it this way? And why did he do that? You know, it's designed as a book report and that's what kids use it as. So they buy it in uh, you know, in a group of books. So that way they give it to their, their students and then they write reports on it and it kind of nice. encourages them as well. So. All right. So Hope that two
0: Oh, definitely. Two more. Two more. Uh favorite martial arts TV show.
1: Uh-huh. You know, I love the Kung Fu series. I really did. Yep. I thought that was I thought that was a blast. But the new one I'm just in love with. It's a one by it's supposed to be a, a Bruce Lee story kind of. It's not a Bruce Lee story. It's called um, Oh The Warrior. The Warrior. Yeah, that's that's a the great one. Great show. Oh, so isn't good. that fantastic? Yes, yeah, it's based
0: on his notes what the original Kung Fu was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was really good show. I really enjoy that one. I really do. Yeah,
0: that's no, they, a lot of fun. They, to watch. they do a great job with it. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, they do. The camera work is great. The acting yep. is fantastic. Yeah, though, though it is not as good as iCarly. It's not as good as iCarly. <laughs> 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 My favorite TV show.
0: Nice. Okay. I was
1: on it once, so I got to. Oh. I got to. I bragged about it. I was. I was on there as an extra once. Oh, so it's a great. There you TV go. Nice. But anyway, uh, yeah, that that the Warriors the fan- Fantastic TV show. I really, really enjoy that a lot. I really do.
0: Cool. And then uh, final question. You kind of talked a little about growing up watching Shaw Brothers movies, but if you had to pick one, what's your favorite all-time martial arts movie?
1: I think it is the the, – the names kind of change, you know, the Shaw Brothers movies when they come here. I think it's called Shaolin Martial Arts. Okay. This is the one where – You know, of course, the Manchus take over, you know, (laughs) and the school has to take off. And two of the students have to train in a different style of martial art. And one of them has to learn like Eagle Claw. So he has to go into the river and grab fish and all that. And then they fight the bad guys and lose, of course. And then two more guys have to go out and Fu Shang is one of them. And he has to learn uh, crane style. So Tiger style and crane style Kung Fu. And the other guy has to learn how to hit this bell. So it is the, the same one in Kill Bill. Remember how she does like a a punch, and people think it's a one-inch punch? Yep. It's a punch. Well, it's actually from the Shaw Brothers, that movie. It's the one where he hits. It's okay. opposite. He hits where the bell is, and then his fingers come out and hits the bell. And nice. I think it's called Shaolin Martial Arts. And then they fight the bad guy in the end. You know, of course, they win. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> But not all the time. Shaw Brothers is unpredictable. The good guy sometimes loses. Yeah, I just found the trailer for it
0: 1974 Shaolin Martial Arts by the Shaw Brothers. I think
1: that's it. Okay. I think that because there's one called Shaolin Martial Arts and the other one's called. uh, uh,
0: There's one called Martial Arts of Shaolin from 1986. Yeah, it's like 12 years new. Yeah, so the older Uh, one.
1: They they both have Shaolin in it. Yep. Shaolin Martial Arts and. and, uh, Martial arts of Shaolin or something like that. I forget, but it's with Fu Shang, But fantastic movie, and that's my favorite movie of all time. Nice. So, though my second is Kill Bill, my second is Kill Bill. That's the second favorite martial art movie for so, me. So,
0: as a Kill Bill fan, are you hoping, like most others, that he finally does Kill Bill three?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> kill, kill! I can watch Kill Bill forever. I think I watched everything on it. You know, yeah. from Sunny Chiba. You know, uh, Satan, the way he talked, it was so funny.
0: That music am- was my ringtone for about two years.
1: Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> I love it. The and whistling. then, of course, Lucy Lou, you know, my yep. God, you know. So she was, she's, you know, just, she's fantastic. And I just love Kill Bill. Just fantastic movie. That's my second favorite movie of all time. The two
0: Kill Bills. Nice. Very cool. Well, Michael, I just want to thank you. This has been a lot of fun. It's great learning about your, your background and definitely about the museum and all they have to offer. And I will put links for the museum and Dragon Fest and your books and anything else you want me to, I'll put in the show notes when the episode comes out so people can check out everything you're involved in.
1: Well, thank you. If I may add and yes. closing, you know, We are never gonna have this opportunity again to have a museum. Uh, This is it, you know, um, this is not an easy thing. I could tell you that. Uh, Financially, it's been very hard on me, but I think it's something that we need to do to have a history of the martial arts. We need to preserve it in some way. And we will never ever have anybody going to school and learning it, you know, specifically for this, giving up everything for a museum. We will never have this opportunity again. And I think it's important that, that we all get together and get behind this, especially now while we're still here. Uh, many great people have passed away and never got the opportunity to see the museum. One of my dear friends, uh, very well-known guy, uh, he, he, he passed away and they put his picture on the cover of a magazine. And even though I applauded the, the people putting his cover and thought it was wonderful, mm-hmm. but I said, look, he never got to enjoy it while he was alive, yep. you know, and and this museum. While we are still here, guys, we're not getting any younger. We just lost, you know, James Demille and many other people. We just lost, and and we're not getting younger. And this is a worthwhile cause. It's something that's bigger than all of us, and it's a legacy we can all leave. Even if you're not in there, it's still a legacy we can leave that we were there to preserve the history of the martial arts. What better way to give back to the martial arts and all that has done for us than have a museum. So all that history of of Jun Ri and Bong Su Han and and, Joe Lewis and and all these guys, what better way to keep their history alive than to have a museum. As Cecil Peoples once said, I want my great-great-great-grandson to see what his great-great-grandfather did to change martial arts history. So uh, again, I, I cannot say that with, with all wholeheartedness, we will never get this opportunity again to have a museum in our lives. And while we're still alive, I believe, I, I hope all these people who have benefited so greatly in movies and in martial arts supply companies, whatever, whatever you have benefit from the martial arts, if it's given giving you confidence to run a company, whatever, let's give back and support this great cause of the Martial Arts History Museum, so there'll be a piece of history that you can say right now: "I was a piece of that history." One day, your great, 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 great grandkids say, "My great, 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 great grandfather just helped start that museum." Yep. So exactly. let's leave a legacy for all to enjoy yeah. by supporting the Martial Arts History Museum.
0: I applaud you for doing it. I, I love what you're doing, and and I'm like I'm I'm hoping to get out there next year and. And I just keep up the good work, and anything I can do to spread the word, I will do for you. So
1: thank you, Brian, very much. And thank you for this show.
0: Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time.